As Seth comes this morning to read our scripture as we turn to James chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. This is the word of the Lord from James 5, verses 1 through 6. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It was the Irish author Jonathan Swift who said in 1713, Flattery is the food of fools. There will be no flattery here today as we open this text together. And what we're after in the book of James is not the food of fools, but the food of wisdom. And this wisdom is hard wisdom. In fact, I have been not so much looking forward to getting to chapter 5 and preaching this text because, to me, these are the hardest verses we find in the book of James. And I have even been wrestling a little bit, just to, to be honest with you, with some temptation to try to soften this a little bit. For one reason, because we are such a generous church. And I'm so thankful that in our church family, we, we are able to be so generous. And, and a lot of the issues we're going to talk about today, many people here in our church really care about them. We have lots of folks who are not only generous, but they genuinely do care about justice. And they genuinely care about the oppressed. And, and many of you are serving in so many different areas. And so on the one hand, I felt a little bit of that temptation to soften things just because in a lot of ways we're doing pretty well here. But the other reason is just because it is so strong. And, and I don't mind when the Bible steps on my toes. And I definitely don't mind if it steps on your toes, okay? But this feels like a stomp, doesn't it? It feels like this is really heavy and it's really hard. But I think we can all agree that in terms of wisdom, in terms of obedience, in terms of walking faithfully with God, there are areas here where all of us can improve no matter how far we've come. And James begins this chapter by speaking directly to some who would hear this letter who were among the wealthy. Now you remember in chapter 4, James talked for a moment near the end to some who were merchants and who were business people. And he said, I want you to be careful as you go about your business to not go to this place and that and say things like, it's my will that's going to be done or I'm going to do this thing. But remember, at all times, as you go from place to place, conducting business, doing whatever it is you do with your life, to surrender yourselves always to God's will and to say, if it is the Lord's will, then we will do this thing or not do this thing or go to this place and not go to this place. Now James turns specifically to some who were rich, some who were wealthy. And again, in the, the, the same theme of surrendering ourselves to God, he warns them that prosperity and wealth used only for sinful and selfish gain will corrupt one's soul. And this is a consistent teaching of Scripture, not unique to James, that those who use prosperity and wealth 
only for sinful and selfish gain will find that something will begin to eat away at them from the inside out. And at the level of the soul, a person will be corrupted. Think about the very practical ways James has talked to us about walking in Christian faith. He's talked a lot about action. But if we're going to be faithful in our actions, will it not first mean we must have a change of heart or a change of mind? We, we have to surrender ourselves in our hearts and in our minds to the Lord, that we would be people who have ears to hear and eyes to see, and that then when the path is laid out in front of us, we'll walk it, and we'll take those practical, faithful steps of obedience. Well, the steps that James is calling the wealthy to take here are hard, but he is concerned with the, the, the content and the condition of their souls. Anytime we see the Bible talking about the wealthy or talking about the rich, it's good to look at the context and to try to understand a little bit more why is Scripture addressing people who are wealthy specifically? And in almost every case, when you find language like this that's really strong and has a lot of warnings with it towards those who have wealth or those who have means, it's almost always referring to those who use their wealth for wicked ends and wicked means. It's not usually just about someone because they're wealthy as if it's the amount of money in their bank account that God is worried about. It's usually about the wicked wealthy and the ways that they choose to use their money or use their resources not to honor God but to honor themselves, not to care for their neighbor but for their own selfish means, not to be a part of works of righteousness but to be a part of works of sin and evil. And that seems to be the case with James's address here. These people who are, are facing condemnation are not going to be condemned for their wealth itself, but rather for their sinful use of their wealth, which is why James uses, again, the language of repentance. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail and we heard some of these same words back in chapter 4. Again, the language of repentance. Where James was saying, when you become aware of your sin, you should be broken by your sin. And your response to your brokenness over your sin should be to take the steps of repentance. To cry out to God for forgiveness. To cry out to God and say, Lord, show me the path of righteousness that I might walk in it. And then to walk in it. James had said back in chapter 4, using the same language of repentance, wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve over your sin, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves is ultimately what James says. And here he says, now listen, to those of you who would use your wealth for sinful means, weep and wail because of the misery that is about to come on you. In the next two verses, James gets more specific about what that misery is. He says, Even now your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes, and your gold and your silver, they are corroded. Now, are clothes inherently bad? Is silver and gold, are those 
are those things inherently bad no the those things are not bad in and of themselves in fact all of these things james mentions can be extremely useful that they can be a blessing they can be be things that bring life to people and to the community clothes are not inherently evil in fact i'm really glad that all of you chose to wear clothes today okay clothes are not a bad thing clothes are a good thing they're necessary for life but if we're not careful even something as simple as a daily necessity like clothes can become an idol can become a focus can be something that we pursue not just for life and for the body but for extravagance and for glamour and for things that as james warns here if they become our focus they will corrupt our soul and even as we wear them that corrosion will happen silver gold can also be used for good purposes for human life for the community life when scripture addresses these things it's not saying that these things in and of themselves are evil but it's a constant reminder and listen this is something we so often forget and i don't know why we so often forget but we so often forget this consistent teaching of scripture that our stuff our possessions they are temporary and they are transient and ultimately they will all pass away there are some things that we can and will take with us into god's kingdom there are some attributes there are some things that god requires of us in terms of our character there are some things that god shapes in us there are some loving relationships that i believe we will experience when we all get to heaven someday in the fullness of god there are some things we can take with us but our stuff those aren't the things we take with us we won't take our clothes we won't take our silver and gold we won't take our houses we won't take our cars we won't take our wealth we won't take any of that stuff with us right yet why is it that so often not only do we forget that but those are the things we worry about the most those are the things that we seek the most those are the things that cause us the most stress not the things we will take with us but the things that are going to pass away anyway and james here very consistently with the teaching of scripture says hold those things loosely and remember remember the transience the temporary nature of wealth and possessions and if those things become the focus of your heart and life like an idol they will corrupt your soul james had talked about this back in chapter one just in case we think that this is an aside and it's not connected to anything else he said in the letter hopefully you'll remember all the way back in james chapter one and see his consistency here when he wrote to those believers who would hear this letter who were among the poor who were among the slave class who were among the oppressed the marginalized those who were on the outside not on the inside of the community he said believers in humble circumstances take pride in your high position but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower for the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the plant and its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business your gold your silver they're already corroding your clothes are already being eaten by moths those things that you're holding so tight they are already passing away 
So don't give them all of your heart and life that you might then pass away with them and not experience the things of life, the things that only God can give. We've talked about James's consistency throughout this letter, not only with all of Scripture, but specifically with the teachings of Jesus. And even more specifically with the teachings of Jesus we find in the Sermon on the Mount. And James chapter 5 here sounds a lot like it echoes what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapter 6. And perhaps the most practical application we can give today to these first few verses. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to share a story with you for just a moment, sort of give you a little inside look into committee life here at South Tulsa Baptist Church. And a discussion that happened in our stewardship committee. We call our, our finance committee, as many churches call them, our stewardship committee. And we had a, a meeting a few weeks ago. I did not, by the way, pre-clear telling this story with our chairman or our treasurer, so hopefully this isn't confidential. But if it is, I already shared it in the 830 service, so it's too late. The story's, the story's already out there. But we had an amazing discussion a few months ago that is genuinely one of my favorite moments I've had here at South Tulsa. And the stewardship committee was talking about our Let Your Light Shine campaign. And, and that's where we've been raising money for several months for our new preschool indoor playground and our special needs room and all of that. And, and the campaign to raise money for Let Your Light Shine started really strong, but for, for a few months there it just stagnated. And we came to a point where it was time to make the next big decisions, to go out to bids and to begin construction. And our stewardship committee needed to approve us taking that step, even though we were at that point a few hundred thousand dollars short. Not a few thousand, a few hundred thousand dollars short. And so the committee was having to make a decision, are we going to go forward or not? And the discussion in the room started to be about faith, Right? And I was so proud of some of our, our committee members. They said, we know that God has called us to do this. We have to trust that he's going to provide what we need. This is an act of faith, so let's step out in faith. Let's, let's go to the next step in the process, and we'll just trust all along that God will provide. And one of our committee members said, you know, though, let's be honest. As I look at all the, the monies that we have in savings that we use for contingency, we actually have all the money we need already in the bank. And so he said, it's really not that much of an act of faith, is it? If we already have the money in the bank, and yet we're saying, well, we're going to trust God and step forward in faith. Don't we all do the same thing sometimes? What we call faith is really just a little bit of faith. Just, just being willing to have a little bit of trust that God will come through. We, we made that decision, the committee voted on it, the council voted on it, and wouldn't you know, within the next few weeks, several hundred thousand dollars came in, and we're almost already to the goal. It doesn't always happen that way, Cantrell. It's nice. It's nice whenever that happens right away, but sometimes it doesn't. And even just a little bit of faith in these areas regarding things that are going to pass away anyway is sometimes so hard for us. And why is it that we so often forget 
the transient and temporary nature of these things as we've said i don't know but i know that it's true and i know that that this teaching that jesus gives and that james gives is so practical and it's so consistent with scripture but it doesn't mean it's easy so james sort of rounding out the first half of this text he says if you haven't heard the warning yet related to your soul note at the end of verse three the corrosion of your things in which you've put your faith and trust will testify against you and it will eat your flesh like fire because you have hoarded wealth here in the last days i love the way one scholar said it that that word for corrosion is actually just the word that means rust and he said when 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 one sees the telltale flaky reddish brown on a used car that's being considered for purchase the rust testifies against the vehicle by revealing it's already corroded and it's crumbling condition likewise hoarded treasure will on judgment day testify against the hoarder by revealing what he or she truly is when is enough enough and here's a, an even harder question when is enough too much and why do we struggle so much to be able to identify those things why is it that so many of us live so often with a scarcity mindset we're so afraid that that being generous and giving away or or the sharing of resources with others is going to mean more is going to be taken away from us we all struggle to think that way and to live that way but the bible teaches us not only in james not only in the sermon on the mount but consistently that as the people of god we are to hold loosely those things which will pass away rather than holding on to those things that will pass away with white knuckles the bible describes us as god's people who reflect his character as people who are generous and are kind and are giving and who recognize that transient and temporary nature of the things that we hold and so not only do we hold them loosely but we're really hoping that in the end when the day of the lord comes as james talks about here you're hoarding your wealth in the last days we're really hoping that when the day of the lord comes we will have spent our last cent and there will be nothing left in the storehouse and we'll come sliding into home successfully sprinting to the finish having given everything we have and we are for the lord jesus taught in another parable another teaching in luke chapter 12 the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest and he thought to himself like we think to ourselves what shall i do i have no place to store my crops so he said this is what i'll do i'll tear down my barns and i'll build bigger ones and there i will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, so take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Those who hoard wealth storing up selfishly and greedily when there are needs around them that are clearly to be seen do not walk with wisdom the wisdom that, that comes from above as we've talked about throughout this letter but instead they walk with foolishness 
because we do not know when our life will end and we do not know on which day at which moment christ will return but in either of those cases don't we want to be those who finish well and have given our very best and given our very all for the things that really matter and for the things that will last forever there are two sides to this coin in this text on the one hand yes prosperity and wealth used only for sinful and selfish gain will corrupt the soul the other side of that coin though is that sinful and selfish gain almost always come at the expense of others and in the second part of the text james says listen god hears the cries of the poor the oppressed and the victimized and he sets himself against those who profit by exploiting them came across this story online not long ago some of you may have seen it as well this iconic picture of, of of some men having lunch on top of the world right sitting in manhattan and as construction of a building is taking place you can see central park behind them you can see old new york behind them i don't know anything about any of these guys but i've got some respect from them just by seeing the picture right and you have respect for them too but i love what somebody shared on social media we've seen this picture a hundred times but somebody had to take the photo and this is charles c ebbets who was up on the beams up on the sky rises taking lots of pictures like these in fact if, if you go to Nor to new york today you'll see charles c ebbets name on lots of things he's a a very well-known photographer and has lots of famous images that he's taken yeah i've got respect for the guy sitting on on the beam i've really got respect for this pose i don't even know how you do that much less thousands of feet in the air but how often do we forget that so many of the things we have so many of the things we enjoy even some of the things that meet our basic needs they come to us from people we, that we never see who are working behind the scenes and we have no idea what they've actually contributed to the things that we have how much more so even today that we simply click on something or we push a button and it just shows up on our front porch sometimes the same day Yet how many people are there around the world who are, are the ones actually working behind the scenes, sometimes in dangerous circumstances, and listen, sometimes in unjust circumstances, and we are the ones who are benefiting on the backs of those who are doing the hard work. None of us like to think about that. None of us want to even consider what some of those things might be, especially if we're the ones who are benefiting from those things. But scripture is consistent not only here in james that god sets himself against those who profit by exploiting others a few years ago i did a thing online some of you may have done this that's called what is your slavery your modern slavery footprint and and you you go through this 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 quiz of sorts and you answer lots of questions about the products that you use and the brands that you buy and the things that you're using all throughout the day and this thing will generate an estimate of how many people who are working in conditions of modern slavery today were probably a part of making the things that you enjoy it opened my eyes to things i had never thought of before about what ethically sourcing things looks like and and giving some thought and consideration to the way i invest my money in the things that we use and the products that we buy and maybe some of us would benefit from thinking the same way 
because many of the conditions that the Bible talks about and we think are only a part of the ancient world, they still exist in the lives of millions of people today. And as God's people, as followers of Christ, we shouldn't be the last ones to care about that. We should be among the first and to remember what God teaches about himself hearing the cries of the poor, the oppressed, and the victimized. James actually specifically deals with an issue here in verse 4. And he says, look to those who were using their wealth for sinful, for selfish means. The wages that you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your field, those are the wages that are crying out to God. We heard this in our Old Testament text earlier in Scripture, earlier in the service. This comes from the very first laws that God ever gave to his people. And he addressed this very thing that James talks about. Do not take advantage of your hired worker who is poor and needy, as so often they are. Whether that person is from among your own people, a fellow Israelite, or a foreigner who's residing in your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor, because they are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Well, look at the warning that James attaches to the end of verse 4. The cries of the harvesters who have been refused their wages have gone out, and not only have those cries gone out, but they have reached the ears of the Lord. This is a, a significant warning that especially those who would hear this who have a, a, had a Hebrew background and they knew the law, they knew the words of the prophets like Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Zechariah. Not only have the cries gone out from the harvesters in your fields, but they have reached the ears of the Lord. And he sets himself against those who profit by exploiting them he is the defender of the poor and when they cry out he is the god who hears them and he acts on their behalf i was thinking about this failure to pay wages which was such a a, a, a real problem in the ancient world it comes up a lot in scripture and a lot in ancient history people taking advantage of their hired laborers but it reminded me of a story when i was a young teenager and in our neighborhood a new house was being built and the guy who was building the house lived in our neighborhood and he came to me and a couple of buddies and he said i've got some some really good grunt work that would be really good for some teenagers and he hired us for three days work to do all this grunt work in this house that was being built it was in the summertime do i need to remind you what oklahoma summers are like okay this was really hard work and we did that three days worth of work and after several weeks he had still not paid us and so I went and told my mom about it. He hadn't paid us yet. And just to give you a little bit of insight about my mom, my mom is a wonderful mother. She was very involved in our lives, but she was never really the mama bear type, okay? If we had a problem, she'd say, look, I I'm going to help you figure out some good ways to solve it. But usually she'd say, you've got yourself into this, so you go figure a way out of it. But in this case, when, when this person had not paid us what we were due, that mama bear came out in her, one of the rare times that it happened. And she marched down the street, and she knocked on his door, and she came back with cash to pay me and pay me and all of our friends. There is a different kind of injustice that happens when someone has done the work 
and they've not been given what they're promised. And God says, not only have their cries gone out, but their cries have been heard. They have been heard by the Lord Almighty, and, and the word there is actually the Lord Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. So this is serious. God who will take action on behalf of those who are facing injustice. He has heard their cries. And again, this is not just about the amount of wealth that a person has, but it's about their obedience with their wealth and the character that we display with our use of the things with which God has blessed us. And he finishes in verses 5 and 6 by saying, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fattened yourselves for what? For the day of slaughter, the day of the Lord. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one, even though he was not opposing you. How have the wicked wealthy fattened themselves? Through accumulating more and more luxury and self-indulgence at the expense of others. Wealth gained through sinful means is corrupt from the start. If we gain wealth or resources by doing wrong, that wealth is corrupted from the start. But at the same time, even wealth or even resources that are acquired through righteous means can still be corrupted if we don't use it in the right way. And if we don't use it for the things that honor God and demonstrate our love for our neighbor, it's possible to earn an honest living, but not use it in honest, righteous, and obedient ways. And so the warning has gone out. Will those who hear it be willing to listen? I love the way one ancient Christian talked about this concept here in James 5 as it relates to Judgment Day. He said, On Judgment Day, riches will neither harm the person who has been obedient, nor will they help the person who has done evil. I love that. On Judgment Day... Riches, if we've walked in obedience and faithfulness to God, riches will not keep us out of the kingdom of God. He's not going to say, sorry, you reached the maximum limit in your bank account. You're not welcome here. But in the same way, riches will not help the one who has not lived righteously and faithfully because there is no amount that can buy our way in. There's nothing we can give that will force God's hand to welcome us into his kingdom. And there's nothing that we can take with us that's corruptible, that's transient, that's temporary, that's passing away. But oh, the things we can take with us and the things, the things that will live forever with us, they'll be the things that we've let go of so that we might grab hold of the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God, and a faithful walk with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, that we would grab hold of those things that would live forever, knowing that it might mean we have to let go of some things that won't last and live forever. Just so we remember these consistent themes of Scripture, God identifies with the poor, God lifts up the poor, God defends the poor, and God exalts the poor but also so that we would not lose hope today because of the mercy of God. If we have not been among those who have been living faithfully in these areas, or as I said at the beginning, this is not flattering, 
It's stomping on all of our toes, but there are certainly areas here where all of us can improve. If you're a person today that knows there have been some areas of your life that need significant improvement, the fact that you're here today, the fact that we've opened the word together means it's not too late. It's not too late to become that person who, who learns to live a little more open-handed, who grabs hold of the things that are the things of God that will last forever, and who walks faithfully not only according to the word, but who walks faithfully according to the example that Jesus Christ has set for us. Consider these words that the Apostle Paul said as we close. He says, so I'm praying for you to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Think about that for a moment. As Scripture teaches, Jesus not only humbled himself because he put on flesh, he came to the earth and he put on flesh and blood, although he walked in it perfectly, he put on flesh and blood just like us. Jesus not only became poor through his ministry, as he said, at times, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He not only became poor tangibly and physically in his ministry, but he humbled himself so much so that he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And Jesus died in the most humiliating ways possible. He let go of all of the temptations of this life, and he gave himself completely to God to drink the cup that God had for him that should have been ours to drink. But instead, because we couldn't be the perfect sacrifice needed for sins ourselves, Jesus became that perfect sacrifice for us. And in his poverty, we become rich. Not in the things of this world, right? But in the things of God. And the riches that we inherit through Jesus Christ are the riches that will never pass away. They're not temporary. They're not transient. They are the things of God, and they are the things that will be ours with him in his heavenly kingdom. And all of this is possible because of the cross, because of what Christ did, that he gave up his riches so that in him, we, though we were poor, we might become rich. The last word I have for you today goes back to what we read the last two weeks in chapter four, right in the middle of that chapter. The best response I can give to all that we've read in these hard verses that stomped on our toes is this. Submit yourselves then to God. That's what James commanded. In all these things, submit yourselves then to God. And walking in that surrender, we will see God do things in and through us that we never could have imagined before that moment came. Would you pray with me? I know we're headed here to the 12 o'clock hour, but I want to encourage you to be fully present here in these last couple of minutes we have together. And would you right now, just as we go before the Lord, be willing to open your heart to have ears that would hear, eyes that would see, where would the Lord say to you today, submit yourself then to me? Where might God be speaking to your heart today about anything? Would you be willing to take that posture of surrender and submit? Say, yes, Lord, today, not only will I have the change of heart and mind, but, 
but this will, will be a change of action. Lord, I pray today for each person here that you would open our hearts and if there's anyone who, who today needs to surrender their lives completely to you by saying they believe that you did die on the cross, you did humble yourself to that point so that we might be forgiven. But Lord, today that they would take that first step of repentance to, to confess their sins, to, to step off of the path that leads to destruction and onto the path that leads to life. We thank you that that path is opened up. It's possible because of Jesus Christ. And we pray today that you would move in every heart and speak to us in this one last moment of worship we have together. In Jesus' name, amen.